Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Work from It's Not About Food podcast. We're talking about the body love card of trusting the process. And the front of the card is the goddess leaping from one cliff to another cliff with the ocean in the middle. So she's really having to trust that when she jumps off this one cliff that there will be another land that she's going to land on. So she's really trusting her body and herself and the world and everything to make that leap. And uh, of course, the little deer is jumping right along with her. And in the back of the card, it reads, Recovery from body hatred and disordered eating provides many layers of learning that unfold uniquely and spontaneously. Trusting the process means that we will work through these experiences and issues at our own pace in our own way. We can trust that our process is exactly right for us and don't have to waste precious time comparing ourselves to others. So for me, for my own recovery a long time ago and for the clients I work with now, that whole idea of trusting in the process instead of trying to micromanage everything in my world and trying to force myself into being at a place that I'm not there yet or force myself to go back to a place that I felt more comfortable was a very hard thing for me to do because I'm a control freak, I will admit it, and I want it right now. The microwave takes too long. So if it's not done right now, and I'm also used to a diet mentality that I had forever. I grew up with it. My mom was always on a diet. Everybody in my family was always on a diet because there was a lot of women in my family, and that's what we did then. So start on a diet, and in two weeks you lose this amount of weight, and then you're done. And with a recovery, it's unfolding of layers of, isn't this interesting? This came up. Oh, here's this. Let me work through this piece. Oh, let me just accept this about myself. And to have that trust and faith in myself and in the process, I had a hard time with that. I didn't trust myself as far as I could throw myself. And I didn't learn to trust myself until I was an adult, really. So I... I'm really excited to talk to Alan about this whole trusting the process idea. And I used to have people in group that would get to a certain point in the process of going through their recovery. And they would say, yeah, I hate that word, process. Forget that. I don't like that. The P word, I don't want to hear it anymore. I would just want myself to be over this eating disorder, this body hatred. Be like, it's a process. (laughs) you're already maybe there. You don't even know it yet. Anyway, so let me introduce Ellen and she will tell us about what she's doing and where she's going with this idea of trusting the process. So hello. Hi, 
Laurelie, thank you so much for inviting me here today. I'm just excited about the topic, but I'm also excited to just talk with others about what's going on. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to talk about your own journey in your eating disorder, but I've been talking about it for a really long time. So now it's getting a little easier as I go on. I'm a dietitian and I'm a certified eating disorder specialist. I have a private practice called Healing Nutrition Therapy. And have been doing pretty much eating disorder nutrition therapy for 18 years. But it comes from a place of my own personal journey with my own eating disorder and also my substance addiction, of which I've been recovered for over 30 years. So I think for me, this topic hits home because in my own journey, and I call it a journey, some people call it process, it's different for each person and I let them choose what works for them. It's been in, like unpeeling an onion. And even though I might've gone through my own recovery years ago, I still find things that are being unraveled and unpeeled in my own process and my own journey. So what I do with clients, I work with clients, it all walks, all genders, all areas, wherever they are, I meet them. And I say I meet them because they're the one that's showing up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Something's kicking and screaming, but they're showing up. And hopefully you can capture what motivates them at some point and get them to see that there is light at the end of that tunnel there. But one of the biggest things I've learned over the years, Loralee, is that people that I work with don't trust themselves. And they don't trust themselves at all. Usually those that have been incorporated or enclenched, I call it in diet culture, they've trusted that they've learned that to them, that was their main voice that they heard. If it was an eating disorder, it was their eating disorders, main voice that they heard. If they were in a substance addiction, it was the drug of choice voice that they heard. They lost their own transport. So how does one find their voice again? Or how does one trust in that again? That's a good question. I find that people have a different interpretation of whatever their journey is. And you're right. A lot of people have that instant gratification. They want it now. They don't want to go through all of this. They just tell me how to fix it. Yes. We're such fix-its here in this culture. If it's broken, let's fix it. it. That's the generation, I think. But it comes from all generations. When you're in pain and you're uncomfortable and it's not working, you want it to be fixed. Yeah. You want to stop. Yeah. But you and I know that if we don't go through those processes or the journey, that it comes back to bite you. Well, that's a diet. You know, if all it is about losing whatever weight, then we'll go on a diet, we'll lose that weight, but we'll put it back on plus more because there's reasons why we're in that spot in the first place. And maybe we never need even to go on a diet. We just learn to take care of ourselves. Maybe we change our projection into what do I need? What do I want? What is right for me? And you're right. You have to trust yourself to ask those questions or you won't even know to ask those questions. I remember looking always outside of myself for the fix. And it wasn't until really in my recovery that I thought, oh, the answers are inside of me. I need information for sure. But I need to trust me with this information. Yeah, for a lot of people, they've not learned how to do that at a very young age. 
So how do you teach somebody to trust themselves or to trust the process? It's a two-way street. I know in my own practice, it's like when I start working with clients, I said, you might not trust me. I'm going to learn how to trust you and you're going to learn how to trust me. And knowing that I can say that I've been through this journey or I've been through this process, but it's not yours. That was mine. So you have to define what that's going to look like for you. And, and it's really difficult for them sometimes to define what that is for them because they've never felt it or never known it. So I give them little things that they can do, that they can build that. I, I call it their vertebral column. So their vertebrae <laughs> is helps them to stand up and to help them walk forward and to help them move on and move down that journey. And what I help them do is, first of all, try to work on their coccyx bone down there so that they have some stability. So giving them some ideas and giving them some little assignments that they can do very easily, that they can get some empowerment from, that helps to build their coccyx bone so that they have a base. Yeah, of course. And that base helps them to trust. Okay, once I did this, look at what I did. I did something wonderful for a change. It's not all negative. Yeah. Then they can start to say, okay, I'll trust her a little bit, or I'll trust the process just a little bit. I give them more and more things to self-empower them. And then builds up those vertebral, that vertebral column so that by the end of it, hopefully they're standing somewhat upright and they're able to walk forward. But their want to go from point A to point Z in one felt swoop is so powerful to them. You have to get them to pause and say, look around you and see, how'd that work last time? I don't want to do all of that, but how did that work? How's it been working for you to go on a diet time after time without you looking at the whys? You're always looking at what it could bring, but what has it brought to you? You have to look at that. It is painful. And to give up the dream, I find, of ever being able to control this part of yourself and clamp down, to give that up feels like you're going to die. I've had so many clients say, if I give that up, then I'm going to turn into the Michelin man. Then there's just no reason to try to do anything anymore. I'm just going to fall apart and never get off the couch. No, you're going to find a way to move through this. We get so black and white in this culture, a disordered eating of some sort, and then a diet. That's a black and white issue those two things. But there's so much gray in the middle. (laughs) And if we let go of that diet, we're able to go through the process, right, of trusting, learning, being, having different thoughts and ideas about stuff. One thing that I constantly tell my clients, and I remembered for myself, I'm a recovered alcoholic. And I remember when I first got sober many years ago, they would say, your best thinking got you here was a shame thing. Like you cannot trust yourself because here you are in these rooms. Once I learned about alcoholism was actually a disease and I needed to take care of that disease. But yeah, my best thinking did get me sober. It saved my life. There was a moment of clarity that I took and went through. And I tell my clients the same way. This is you saving your life in a much deeper way than just going on keto or whole whatever, whatever, or having a lifetime membership at Weight Watchers. This is so much bigger than that. This is so much deeper and stronger and learning how to love you unconditionally than any of those will tell you. 
Yeah, the other thing that fits in there also, Laurel, is a lot of clients have gotten a lot of messaging as young kids, who they are and what their bodies are supposed to be from even modeling of parental you know, situations. And that is deeply ingrained. So you're asking them to change something and to trust something that goes against everything that is so deep down in their soul that you have to have patience, the person you're working with to know that's really difficult for them. And some practitioners don't understand that. Again, I have to remember, like I came from a place of, as a dietitian of weight management, quote unquote, and weighing clients and telling them, why didn't you lose this amount of weight this week? And I repented for that probably eight years ago at a NASDAQ conference. And it was like my epiphany. And when I work with clients now, I take the time to take a deep breath in my own space to give them space, to open up my heart, because I get it. Like it's so down deep inside what they feel and what they think that you have to give them time and space to be able to do that work. People ask me, how long does it take to work with you? Like, when will I be done? And I'm like, I don't have a guidance on that. It's how open can we be? How open can you be? What is it going to take for you to trust? Yeah. And the fact is we live in a fat phobic society and added bonus round, a diet mentality. <laughs> so both things work against each other instead of what if you're okay, you just need to tweak your diet a little bit to get you more into a where you want to be, which is intuitive eating, listening to your body. What if that's where we're going? I tell my clients probably the same thing that you say. You have to let go of the weight right now. Just forget about it and go to what is best for you? What is best for me? That is the most important part. Yeah, but that's the hardest part for them. Oh, especially if they don't look like what they think they should look like, what they've been told they should look like. One of the biggest things with intuitive eating, I'm a practitioner of both that and Hayes philosophy, is that clients are being asked to not do something that they've done for a really long time. And again, I encourage them to get off the scale, but I'm not in their house. When they get on the scale and then they see some weight gain or their body composition is changing. Like I'm getting away from the word of weight gain, weight loss, weighing. I'm talking about body habits, body composition. Like your body is changing. Our bodies change on a daily basis, on a monthly basis, on a yearly basis. You see that all they see is failure and then they lose the trust again. So then you're backpedaling and backpedaling and getting back to where we started sometimes, unfortunately. You get them to trust. You told me to do this. You told me, I didn't tell them to do anything, but you're encouraging me to eat like this. You're telling me this program, this philosophy works and look at what's happening. I'm gaining weight. And they think that's because you're using that as a marker of definition of yourself. And you continuously do that. Let's not define ourselves by that number. Numbers are tools that have kept us really in our own sickness and sadness for a very long time. Many of us have been measured and weighed with a measuring tape at the doctor's office. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. Rich flavor is one of your favorites. You'll want to join me on The Wine Road. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. Oh, for sure. My mother was 
a firm believer in being on the scale sometimes twice a day. And I tell my clients, if you cannot give up the addiction to the scale, put on top of the scale a number that you like. (laughs) So when you step on it, it's at that number. Or put at the top of the scale, you're awesome. Or I love you. Put something else other than these numbers because that would be like us saying, look, I went on this diet and I still have this wrinkle right here by my eyes where I smile. It's like, yeah, unless you want to get surgery, there they are. They're going to be there and maybe get worse because we get older. Yeah. Going back to trusting the process is like, this is part of the process of working with clients to get them to trust you that you're going to lead them someplace which will help them in the long run. But again, they're so ingrained in doing it their way that they feel like they have to hold on to these tentacles of their Mm -hmm. eating disorder and disassociated eating because that's been safety. And that's a big thing for clients with trusting is that safety issues, they feel safe in their eating disorder or their restrictive ways. So you have to kind of look back on that too. Why, where is, does this safety issue come from? For a lot of them, it was food insecurities. For a lot of them, they have major trauma around abandonment. It could be abuse or molestation or something like that. So when I work with clients, I get to know them very well. I work with their therapists in conjunction because it gives me a lot of insight as to where does this come from? How deep is this? And how can we dig it up and get them to look at it? But the other thing here is weight. And I'm a little bit on the fence with weight because my thing is I don't want people to be fearful of anything. And so when people don't weigh at some point, they have this thing hanging over their head. So in my own practice in the last, say, year or so, with my very stable clients that I've had for a very long time, I do want them to get on the scale once, get on the scale, and let's look at it and let's process it. But you're there with them. They're not in their house. I let their therapist know that we're doing this and we're all in agreement so that when, if they have to go into the doctor's office, which... I don't agree with they have to get weighed, but that's all another story. Or if they have to go and they see that number, that it's not shocking and it doesn't send them back down the rabbit hole. They know where they're at. We talk about it. We talk about their whatever feelings are coming up. And that way they don't have to be fearful of it. I've already worked on getting them to be not fearful of foods. This is another type of exposure, but you have to wait. And as a clinician, that have been doing this for a long time, I know when it's the best time, not early on in their recovery because they can't handle it, not ready for that. I take it like wanting to think about your weight the same way you do about your shoe size. Isn't, well, huh, that's what I look like right now. And that's the other thing. So I have people look in the mirror and look at themselves as a precious work of art. No matter what, I'm bumpy here, I'm round here, I'm straight here, I'm furry here. (laughs) And just to take it like that so that they're not shocked if they glance at themselves as they walk by a mirror or a store window, as if any of us could get outside where store windows are. But the point is, I don't want them to be shocked when they see themselves. Go ahead and look and come from a place of awe and wonder and, wow, that's what I look like right now, subject to change. We're all going to get older if we're lucky enough to live. So it's seeing what is and then backing that up with love and support and compassion. It's worked really well. It's really helped a lot of my clients to not be so fearful of weight gain. 
And after they've done a bunch of work and they're feeling better and their vertebral column is up and straight and short up and they're able to you know, walk forward, they can look at that weight in a whole different light. That that's part of them. And it doesn't define them. It's just a number in time. And it's worked really well. I'm finding a whole lot of my clients that are doing so much better knowing than not knowing. And so I've adopted that. But again, it's client by client. But again, it gives them that trust. It adds back to the trust in the process is that you're not lying to me. I'm telling you years and years ago, we used to just tell clients what they wanted to hear just so that they would continue to do the work. And I look back on those days and I'm like, what in the world was I thinking? But I'm not going to go back there again. So now they trust me because I've led them in through this process and then they see that number. It's not so scary. So they can trust that. Yeah. And I know that for me, doing groups for as long as I have, right up front, even before somebody comes to group, I'm saying, this is not a weight loss program. You may even gain weight. You may lose it. You may stay the same. Who the hell knows? All I know is this is looking at issues other than what you eat or what you weigh, because it's all about the underneath. Not that you can't get supported in how to eat better for your body, but it seemed to me like we're working on the wrong thing if we're coming in here to lose weight. And, you know, I remember a long time ago when Carol and I first started Beyond Hunger, we had these groups and we both said the half of the group might get up and walk out the door as soon as we keep saying this to them. I said, yeah, but we have to trust them to know the truth. That's why they're there. We're the last ditch effort. They've already tried all the diets. And so now they're trying something different. And I would think that's what would happen when they come to you. They're finally at a place that they can look at the underneath. Yeah. And some clients do come and call in and they're looking for weight loss. And I direct them to my website, which is pretty explanatory about what I do. And I said, and if that jives with you, call me back. But sometimes they'll come and they still want to deal with their weight. And that's fine. We're going to deal with weight. We're just a different way. We're not going to focus on it. And a lot of people come to me and say, I need to lose weight for my diabetes or my high blood pressure. I'm sitting there going, let's look at your diabetes. Let's look at your high blood pressure. And I said, your weight may do all kinds of things, but those are the main things that you're interested in. You're interested in having your blood pressure go down. You're interested in having your blood sugars go down. Has nothing to do with whatever that number is on the scale. Let's look at are you taking your blood sugars on a regular basis? Are you taking your medication on a regular basis? Are you practicing stress reduction? Are you sleeping well? Are you pooping? All these things. It's a bigger issue than are you fitting in a size five or whatever. Once you get started working on some of those things, some of the other things that you want or you think you want may play into it. But those are your main things you're coming in here for because you're scared of your blood sugars being high. You're scared of your blood pressure being high. And your doctor has told you they're not in good shape. So that's why you're here. So let's focus on that. That works because it brings them in on their own agenda. But again, we're not focusing on weight. And then I can get the time to kind of talk to them about why we don't need to focus on weight. It gives me that little leeway to jump in and be able to do some work around intuitive eating. And it seems to me when you're talking about this, again, what you're saying is that they come in, they have diabetes, it's because they weigh too much or something they're not doing. So there's already a shame spiral going on here. It's my fault that I'm in this position and I have to 
take medication and do all these things and now I have to talk to you. And when I can loosen that up, the blame or the shame about that, it's like you have a body and it got sick. Let's just work on how to get it better. It's not your fault. It is the way that it is. It's easier to work with when you don't have to go through that wall of shame and blame. It also empowers them to trust themselves, that they can do something and have some control. Because chronic diseases, you don't have a whole lot of control over them. Especially autoimmune diseases or diabetes might be familial. You might have predisposition from family, whatever it is. You don't have a whole lot of control. You're always told what you have to do. Wouldn't it be nice to learn how to do something that you can take control of? Yeah. And then you can learn how to trust that I can take my medication on a regular basis. I can go for a 15-minute walk twice a day. I choose to do them. I can do them. They're good for me. But nobody else is like hocking me to do them. So that's where I go with them. Again, my thing is really about empowerment because when they feel they have more power for themselves and it's directed by themselves, they can learn how to trust that they can do these things and they can keep doing things as they add those other things in. And again, helps them move on their journey or process because they have some success. One of the little exercises I do with my clients, especially when they're journaling, is at the end of the day, I have them write three successes. So what were three successes you had today? It doesn't have to have anything to do with eating or exercising. Anything. What were you successful at today? For some clients, it's I got out of bed and I brushed my hair and my teeth. For some clients, it's like I wrote in my journal. Some clients, I went to work. Whatever it is for them, write down three things because tomorrow might be a really crappy day and you might not see any success. So I tell them to look back in their journal to yesterday. What were they successful at yesterday? And again, that gives them some trust that they have succeeded. They've done something. No matter what, then they can do it again tomorrow. So that's also to trust that they can do. So right now you have a little platform. If there's something that you would like to put out in the world that you're doing, I'm assuming that right now, because we all are doing this, you can do your work on a Zoom and you can do it remotely and they don't have to actually be in your office to do this. So what would you like to just put out there what you're doing and so that people can get help when they need somebody like you to help them through this trusting the process and learning to love and take care of themselves and to look at the reasons why things are happening instead of just stuck on what is happening or what did happen. Yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. However, my shift in focus has been changing over time. So there are a few passionate areas that I work in and one is women in substance addiction and empowering them in their changes in their body and in their recovery. Because we know, I know, and the literature says that especially for women, when their bodies change after coming off of a substance, they have a hard time with it. They look at their changes in their body as a self-esteem stab. And I work a lot with helping to empower women through their recovery from addiction, but also from a point of body change and body neutrality, at least. I understand radical body love and that kind of thing, but for a lot of people, it does they don't get there. So if we can get them to be at least peaceful with their body post you know, treatment or addiction recovery, that's a big thing. I work with both men and women, but that's a bit of mine. I also work with eating disorders and substance because they both go together and it's an epidemic. 
So those are two. And then the other passion of mine is working with women in menopause, in perimenopause, menopause, and beyond. And I'm talking about all gendered women, trans women, all women that have changes in their body post their hormonal changes going wackadoodle. So I'm working with Erica Leone, who does a lot of work on menopause, and we're trying to come up with a podcast or something to work on together. She's been doing this work for a very long time. She's my role model in this, but it's a big one for me because I just turned 60 this year. And in the last probably 10 years, my body has really changed. And it was a challenge to my eating disorder. You didn't look like this 10 years ago. Like, What's going on there? And I had to sit there and take a pause. Take a pause, Ellen, because it's coming back to haunt you right now. As I say, eating disorder treatment recovery is not linear. Oh, it's not. Never. Being a practitioner for so many years, for me to have issues with my own recovery and have a jab, that was enlightening. And it had to all do around my body changing in menopause. My moods, my sleep, just my middle of my body just went changing. I wasn't doing anything. So those are my passions, substance addiction and eating disorders and menopause or perimenopause, depending on what the situation is. My website is called Healing Nutrition Therapy. I'm all virtual right now. I consult with other substance addiction treatment centers, and I work as a certified eating disorder specialist for them, helping to somewhat work on eating disorders while they're in treatment for substances. Because I think you can scoop it underneath the rug. It'll come back. It continues to cause relapse in substance addiction if you don't deal with the eating disorder underneath. So I'm very blessed. I work for four or five very great, wonderful treatment centers because there's a lot of yucky ones out there that actually take nutrition therapy and this very seriously. Oh, this is a big one. I'm writing a book on addiction and eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Simon & Schuster, it'll be out hopefully in 23. And then I'm doing a workbook on the same topic for treatment centers so that they can have at least, if they can't get a dietitian, they can't afford one, at least they have some kind of game plan to work to calm down the eating disorder so they don't have to. Again, if the eating disorder is very active and they're purging a lot and they can't focus on their substance treatment. Exactly. They just can't. And you said something so good, and I have seen it over and over again, is that somebody goes through, yay, they get off of drugs and alcohol, and they have a few months they ride a pink cloud, as we say, and then they go back to their eating disorder that usually was the first way they took care of themselves. So of course, those core issues start to come up. They'd go back to the eating disorder and they're back into drugs and alcohol. And I happened to me in my own life, just took me forever to really get sober. I had to look at my drug and alcohol and then my eating disorder. And then right after that, I had to look at my codependency and the way that I treated money and debt and just everything in the whole world. And it was trusting the process, which I did not see. I thought if I get sober and just do that, go to meetings, I'll be okay. But I wasn't okay. And there was a lot of shame about that. And when I talk to my clients in treatment, they don't see it. They don't understand that there is such an entwinement if that's a word, between the two of them, that they're codependent upon each other and they're friends and they're besties. (laughs) And you take one away and the other one wants to come back and say, hi, I love you and I want to hold on. And for most people, eating disorders are so much harder to give up than drugs and alcohol. You don't have to have drugs and alcohol on a daily basis, but you do have to have food and you do have to live in the body you have. 
I also eating disorders are not addictions. And so they're in a different category as a substance addiction, which there are some people out there in my community of people that talk about this, their addictions. And I don't have that same feeling. And so I come from a place that they're separate but equal entities, but they're not. And so I'm continuously talking about, you okay? Continuously talking about that you need nutrition from all areas. Like again, what we're finding out now, this is a big one, is that people that are in treatment for substances, specifically alcohol, and they go on low carb diets like keto or whatever, they relapse faster than a person that's eating a well-balanced diet. Why? Because the alcohol was a carbohydrate. You took the alcohol away, you took their main source of carbohydrate load away. The body's going to be looking for it. Where else am I going to get that carbohydrate load? You take the carbohydrates out of the diet and only eat protein and fat. The addicted mind doesn't use that very well. The addicted mind needs glucose. So then their cravings for carbohydrates go up and they can't decipher between a donut and a glass of wine. There's no research. I haven't found a research project on that yet, but I can tell you from experience, that's what's happening. They come into our treatment centers. I take them off of all fad diets because they need those carbohydrates for their brain to heal, has B vitamins in it and your thiamine and riboflavin that your body is craving. So that's what I do. That's my passion. I work with people that are in sober living. So they come from treatment and now they're in sober livings and their eating disorder is just kicking their butt. And so I work in my private practice as well with clients, but that's where I'm going. So those are my big problems right now. Oh, so big. And what's the name of your book? I don't have a name for it yet. Oh, okay. He <laughs> asked me that this morning. I'm working on it. I want it to be catchy. The book is pretty clinical. I'm not sure yet. And I'm working on a workbook name. So again, that I want to be catchy. I'm wondering if you could read the bottom of the Body Love card that today I will practice. Today I will practice trusting my process and knowing that I am right where I need to be on my path. I will practice viewing each situation as a learning experience and will be loving and accepting with myself as I move along my path. So great. And I so appreciate you being here and honored to meet you in person or online or whatever we're doing on the Zoom. And thank you so much for being on. Thank you, Laurel. I appreciate it very much and and power to you. And I'm so grateful you're doing this work. I have 38 years sobriety. I wish that I had somebody like you in those early days or just whenever in sobriety because it was so hard to struggle along and try to figure this stuff out by myself, which I didn't do a very good job because it took a long time, you know, but it was, it's so great that you're doing this. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food podcast. Thanks so much.